what is up with the Jazz? And how can they fix their problems with Mitchell not cooking in the kitchen? Plus, a taste of joy in our preview of the upcoming Utah football and basketball seasons. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, sweet. Let's get right into it. Um, we are we are recording this just fresh off a of jazz law, so we're gonna have a lot of a lot of topics to talk about, a lot of feelings to get off our chest. <laughs> we're gonna start off as always with some general NBA news, though, to kind of take our minds off of what just happened. Um, we're gonna start off on on a team that's right on the Jazz's tail, and I think it's gonna be a crucial game on Friday when the Jazz go up against the Phoenix Suns. Um, they have been doing really well and Monty Williams, he's climbing up in the, uh, his case for coach of the year. I'm today, Chris Paul had a crazy shot to end the Knicks winning streak. It just seems like everything seems to be leaning in the sun's way. So this is a team that didn't even make the playoffs last year. They had their kind of highlight at the end of the season going undefeated in the bubble at the end of the regular season. Um, and they obviously made some few adjustments in their team and their game plan, and it's paying off for them because now they have the potential and the chance to become the number one seed in the West and in the NBA by the end of the week. So to start off, Richie, what are your thoughts on the Phoenix Suns? I think they're a good regular season team. Um, I like that. Looking at their playoff experience, you have three guys that have played in the playoffs before, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, and Dario Saric. Yep. So, you know... How far is this team going to go when they only have three guys that have played in the playoffs? When Jay Crowder is the only guy that has gone to the finals um, with the Cavs and with the Heat. Um, but Chris Paul, their team leader, who has props to him. He's had an incredible year. He's changed the situation in Phoenix from being a borderline playoff team to being the second best team in the in the NBA right now. Um, Chris Paul's never been to the NBA finals. And I don't think this is the year in year 16 of his career when honestly, he's on his athletic decline Yeah, that he's going to take the Phoenix Suns to the championship. That being said, though, I do think the Suns will have an easier road to the playoffs than the Jazz. Um, the way the seating is looking right now, it's looking like, um, I don't know, let's assume the Suns finish second. It's looking like they'll um, play probably the Mavericks, and I think they beat the Mavericks, and then they'll probably have to go through the Clippers. Um whereas the Jazz will probably end up going through the Lakers. So I do think going through the Lakers is harder than going through the Clippers. Um, for that reason alone, I think the Suns could go further in the playoffs than the Jazz. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. Yeah, and I definitely like that that outlook on the Suns because it is true. I think experience is definitely necessary, especially to make it super far. And I, I do like them in the sense that, you know, they can be that team that, you know, wins in the first round in a good series. Um, and I, I can see the same thing as you where, you know, there, there may be a second round drop or, you know, in the Western Conference Finals. But um, I, I feel like the, the West is just super tired right now, especially with all the injuries. It's been a really interesting concept to see how each team looks super different, you know, depending on who's on the court, who's off because of, you know, rest or certain injuries. We'll get more into that with like the Jazz and Donovan Mitchell, but which team kind of going off of that, which team, because the Suns don't have any injuries. So which team stands out to you with like one of their star players out on the sidelines, which team has like outperformed your expectations? 
Um, honestly, I'm gonna say the Lakers. Um, okay. They haven't been above 500. They've been right on the brink of 500 without LeBron and AD. Yeah. But AD is coming back, and the Lakers have stayed fifth. I honestly thought they were gonna drop down to sixth or seventh, but the fact that they've stayed at fifth and have the number one defense in the NBA right now speaks a lot to their team. Um, so I think they're pretty surprising. The Nets are also very surprising. I know it's um, basic to focus on the Nets and the Lakers. Um, but <laughs> these are like the two ESPN. teams that have honestly gotten hit hardest with injuries when it comes to their superstars. Yeah. Um, and the Nets are had just got the one seed. They just beat Philadelphia last week to um, get the one seed. Yeah. So, I don't know. Those two teams are really sticking out to me right now. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of the Nets, I feel like none of the NBA has really gotten a chance to see them at like their true potential with a full starting lineup. So, you know, there's a lot of theories out there of what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, why are, you know, are certain players resting? It feels like just random injuries pop up for those big three. What is your perception of like what the Nets look like? What, what do you think the reason are for all these injuries and all these rests? What's your perceptions on them? Well, it's super weird because I feel like KD was sitting out for like three weeks with a bruise on his knee. Yeah. Um, James Harden was getting scheduled to be back probably this week, but in one of his therapy se- sessions, he had something went wrong. They didn't give any details about it. They just said something went wrong, and now he's out indefinitely. Um, so I don't know. Like they haven't had serious injuries, like no ACLs, no broken anything. Yeah. They've just been like sore or bruised. Or like a little contusion. Or going to a birthday party. Or you going know, to Kyrie. a birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they're not like, they're not getting hit with hard injuries, but they're somehow never healthy. Yeah. So it begs the question, like, is there something going on behind the scenes that's making it so that they don't have to show teams what they're going to be like at full strength until the playoffs? Which is smart, if you honestly think about it. And like you've been saying the Nets are very impressive without all those big three. They have like a really good roster. And obviously with a lot of cap space, they've been able to sign a lot of good free agents. Um, so in, in in your eyes, do you think that, say the Nets were at full potential, what would be their ceiling? What What's their highest potential? Where do you think they can go? I think they go to the finals and win it all. Um I hate to say that. Yeah. Because who wants James Harden and Kevin Durant to win another championship? <laughs> um, I mean, James Harden hasn't won one. Yeah, but... But, I mean, this team, from a Jazz fan's perspective, there are so many hateable players. DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, <laughs> Kevin Durant, James Harden, Jeff Green, who left the Jazz because he just didn't want to try. I mean, they have a lot of hateable players. Um, so, I, I hate to say that they're going to go to the finals, yeah. but... I think they're going to go to the finals and win it all. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to face, you know, the facts or, you know, what looks like real reality. But uh, I obviously think the same. I know everyone, like you said, everyone's talking about the Nets and the Lakers and no one can get off that. But it honestly, like, it, with those two teams, with uh, with all their players in the game, I don't see any team that can really beat them in a seven-game series. And if they those two go to the finals, that's a very interesting matchup. Yeah. Because you have the defending champions. But I think, to me, they look like the underdogs compared to a full Nets team. And so I'm. I like that perspective of, you know, how they if they go into that finals, their mentality of how they're going to win that. Because I think it's on the Lakers, obviously, to defend their NBA championship. But the Nets are also really hungry because I think 
Obviously, Kyrie and KD already have a ring, but I think Harden really wants it this year. He's been playing outstanding when he's in the game, when he's not, you know, having random injuries. But um, the Nets, you've already stated this because the Lakers have the number one defense, even with LeBron and Anthony Davis just coming back. But you look at the Nets and they have really good shooting. Obviously, one of the best offenses in the league, if not the best. So today's NBA is a lot different than it was five 10, 15 years ago, it's completely switched. So obviously the two components, defense and offense, are super crucial in today's NBA. But to you, which one stands out? What do you think is more important to win in a game? Would it be like the Nets lights out shooting or like the Lakers defense? What do you think helps you? What's the key factor in the end? Um, in today's NBA, I feel like it's different between the regular season and playoffs. I do think in the regular season, shooting is a lot more important. Um, for example, the 73 and nine warriors, they were incredible in the regular season. Obviously they were the best record ever. Um, and that's a big part of that is because they were shooting lights out. Um, in the playoffs though, I do think it is overlooked that they were down three, one to the thunder who at the time didn't have a great roster. Russell Westbrook and KD were great, but they didn't have a lot of other guys contributing. Yeah. Um, they came back and won that series because clay Thompson played insane. Um, and then they lost against the Cavs, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think their defense, they didn't have somebody that could stop LeBron. I mean, some people would say that Iguodala is the LeBron stopper, but LeBron averaged like 36 and 12 on him. Yeah, that was a crazy <laughs> final. Yeah, that was a crazy finals. So, um, I do think come playoff time, defense is as important, if not more important than shooting. Yeah. Because I feel like, obviously, once you hit the playoff gate, like the intensity just increases by a thousand. You can feel it in the atmosphere watching games. You know, obviously, it's it's win or go home. And so I agree with you on that. I, in, in my personal opinion, I think with today's like high-powered offense, I think defense becomes that much more important to stop it. And I think if, say, for example, if a team like the Lakers were be were to be able to stop the really good shooting of the Nets, I think that's way more impressive than if the Nets, you know, shot out on the Lakers and beat them by 20. I think if, if the Lakers could shut them down or any other team, I think that's way more impressive in today's NBA because, like you've been talking about, it's a completely different game where teams are now averaging, you know, like 120 a game where that's normal, where you go back, you know, 10, 15 years, and it was back in the 90s and 80 points at the end of the game. So very different game, very different game. And inclu- and. Speaking of different games, uh, the Jazz look a little different than, you know, what they look like at the beginning of the season when, you know, we're talking about, whoa, these guys are the best. These guys are never going to lose. You know, you have that mentality as a Jazz fan. And now you're getting a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a slap in the face, but more like a kick in the crotch. Uh, you got two straight back-to-back losses to the Timberwolves. Um, obviously, Donovan's out, but what kind of stands out to you from these recent slumps from the Jazz? Um. I mean, I think it more than anything, it's helping a lot of us to realize the importance of Donovan Mitchell. Um, one thing Donovan does really well is attack the basket. And if you've watched the last couple of games, you know the Jazz are not getting any easy shots around the basket. Um, you'll get the occasional Rudy Gobert lob, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, I do think that has hurt us a lot. Um, that first game we played against the Lakers, I think, I mean, we didn't have favors Rudy. Um, and I feel like we didn't have like anybody. And Conley, Conley, Clark's. I think we had Clarkson. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we had him in that first game, but yeah, obviously a lot of people were out. Yeah, and um, and it hurt us. Um, I mean, Ilyasova had a great first quarter. 
And I feel like when it comes down to it, we just need guys to step up. Yeah. Um, tonight against the Timberwolves, I look at the box score. Um, and honestly, Bogey was one of 10 tonight. Um, Rudy had 18, but he had five rebounds. So that's showing something that he's not rebounding enough on the defensive end and they're getting second chance points. Um, Mike wasn't super efficient and I thought his end of the game decisions weren't the greatest, especially that um, last end of the game um, when he had the chance to, um, with four seconds left, he had a chance to go score. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Um, And so I feel like it really states how much we missed Donovan because he opens up the floor so much for other players especially at the end of games. Um, a lot of people say Donovan plays hero ball, and it is true, and it is why we have won. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's nothing bad about hero ball. The best players play hero ball. Yeah. Um, it's when you play too much hero ball or when you start playing hero ball too early. Um, but, yeah, I think we've really missed Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and I've noticed, especially a lot in the tighter games that the Jazz have played, it's usually when Donovan steps up, right, when he's playing that hero ball, I feel like that's when you kind of see his full potential is when it feels like the team is on his back. And you can see it in his eyes. He knows that the team is on his back. And so he he desperately tries and he has that mentality that he's going to win this game. And so obviously, like you said, you, you, can, you can see how much they miss him in games like today and on Saturday um, when he's not playing. Because something that has changed in these past two games is the Jazz were off to two really good starts. In Saturday's game, they had a 17-point lead. At the beginning of the second quarter today, the Jazz had an 18-point lead. And you see how quickly it just diminishes. And I think, again, like you said, um, not a lot of paint shots driving inside, um, which causes a lot. You know, the Jazz love shooting threes, which is great. But, of course, not every game is going to be where you're shooting, you know, making 25 of them. Like, that's insane. And today is another evidence of that. And so I think... It's true that you do really have to get back to the basics, and I think Gobert is a really big factor that they can also not only use on defense but on offense. And, I mean, today his stats were actually, like, really good for the most part. I'm pretty sure he shot almost 100%, if not 100%, from the field. Um, Obviously, he has some classic Gobert moments with some flails and stuff, (laughs) but I, I think they can definitely use him a lot more, and I think Donovan does that also when he's in the game. I think they have a really good duo. Obviously, Conley said, like, he throws a few oops, here and there, but I think Gobert is a really big factor on offense as well because if you work it in the paint, then obviously it spreads it out a lot more for three-point shooters. And speaking of long shots, I think what's also been interesting is that a lot of guys, especially when they're not shooting well, the Jazz's movement on offense is still pretty good. You know, They're trying to pass around and trying to find the open shot, but it feels like sometimes, like, like for example, Royce O'Neal today had a lot of really good shots. I feel like some good open looks. And Ingles is known for this too, but they like pass up all these open shots. And sometimes it kind of just like, it, it bothers me in a way because it's like, you know, they want to be a good team. But in another way, you know, in order to get your shooting percentages back up, you got to shoot the ball at one point instead of, you know, kind of being a little bit hesitant. So what's kind of your stance on, you know, if people are struggling shooting, what do you think the Jazz should do to adjust that? Um, I think there's a lot of things you can do. Um... I do think that a lot of times we're too hesitant to just take the shot. I think the only person on the Jazz that isn't too hesitant, that never questions himself, is Jordan Clarkson. 
his, his, he's always willing to take a yeah. shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I love that about him. Um, mm-hmm. You need guys like that on your team. Yeah. Um, Joe, I think, has improved since last year in this regard. Um, he's more willing to shoot. But Royce um, and Bogey, honestly, sometimes it feels like they never want to shoot. Yeah. And they get in their heads. And, I mean, I don't know what to tell a guy that probably shoots like a thousand shots a day that is shooting threes every single day i mean he's getting in his own head yeah um yeah so i mean i feel like at that point you kind of have to figure out how to contribute in other ways um and something that royce has done recently that i've liked a lot is he's been driving to the basket he did it against the lakers and he did it against the rockets um he didn't do it too much against the timberwolves but when he was doing that um it kind of helped him settle up settle into other parts of his game so i mean if you're having an off shooting night you can find other ways to be effective and it's all about every player finding their best way to be effective i also think bogey has done a great job of that this year yeah um excluding tonight he's been great at attacking the basket um getting to the foul line and from that he's able to open up his game um players start guarding him looser they don't want him to get to the basket and so he has more time to shoot his threes yeah and i think that really helps the player yeah, and, and I like that they've been able to kind of mold their game into what they need to do in each situation. And I, I also, like, especially in the month of April, Bogey's had a really good month. I think he's averaging, like, 19 or 20 points in the month of April, um, especially, you know, with these last few games, the absence of Donovan Mitchell. And I think the Jazz have a very different identity, obviously, with, you know, their best player, Mitchell, off of the court. And I think people change their game a little bit, which we've talked about. So... In your eyes, how different is this Jazz team without their starting point guard? Realistically, I think if we didn't have Donovan Mitchell, we would be a fringe playoff team. Um, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's the same case with Rudy Gobert and the same case with Mike Conley. That's what makes this team great is you have all these guys that you can make a case like if the Jazz didn't have that guy, they would not be in the same position. Yeah. Um, And that's why this team is so well built. Um, But I do think it hurts us. Um, to not have Donovan Mitchell, I don't. I don't think this team would be really good, um, especially in close game situations. Um, we really struggle in close game situations, and Donovan Mitchell gives us a lot of identity. But he also gives us a lot of identity when we're starting to give up. Um, when we score, I don't know how many points did we score in the second quarter? It was horrendous tonight. It's like fifteen or something like that. Yeah, fourteen. It was horrible on on horrible shooting. Yeah. Um. And I think that's where Donovan helps a lot because Donovan's the type of guy that can go give you a bucket whenever you need it. Um, and not having him tonight really sucked because we got into those we get into those lulls where we're not able to score. And sometimes when Donovan's not able to score, um, he does exactly what I was telling. He finds other ways to be effective in the game. He um, drives and makes a great pass. Um, does stuff like that that opens up the game and then he's able to score later in the game. Yeah, and I feel like I absolutely agree with that because uh, we've obviously seen a few of those games this year when Donovan's obviously not hitting shots. But the thing that I like is he finds other elements of his game that he knows will work. And I think that's crucial for all of these other Jazz players is, you know, obviously when something's not going right for you, then you can you know, find other elements of your game that you can step up for what's missing. Tonight, I know your favorite player, George Niang. <laughs> he kind of, I was like, I swear if Niang's going to be the savior of this game, if you told me that that was going to happen against the Timberwolves a month ago, I would have thought you were nuts. But in one aspect, I think he's become, he, you know, his his game, he's become a lot more comfortable in his shooting. 
And obviously you've seen that. I think he's almost nearing 50% from three now. I think he was at like 47% before this game. Oh, wow. So he, I think he kind of found his spark where he can kind of make, you know, those one or two shots in the game that kind of helped boost. And obviously today they needed it when Clarkson was 0 for 10 at one point. And then he comes in and helps them out with that little, that little push. To me, I, I absolutely agree in saying that this Jazz team is a fringe playoff team without Donovan Mitchell. Um, I, I just see the spark, especially as a leader that he adds to this organization. It's, it's super unique. You don't see players like him. Who's like live tweeting every game, you know, like LeBron, I know he goes to games and stuff, but you don't see him, you know, supporting his teammates of the way that Donovan does. And I think that's super special. And I think there's a sense of, um, there's like a spark that he adds. And I think he kind of ignites the fire and that's what we saw at the beginning of the year when the Jazz were blowing out teams by, you know, 20 or 30. Lucky for us, we're not playing the Wizards or the Timberwolves in the playoffs because <laughs> they're not going to be there. But I think it's funny how um, the Jazz have been able to match really good teams, if not, you know, beat them by really good scores. But at the same time, I feel like they play down to the level of opponents that are at the bottom. And it can be attributed to, you know, when you have the number one record in the NBA, players are going to, you know, show up and they play their best games. We've talked about that for a while now. But does that bother you in a way? Or have you kind of noticed that, how the Jazz kind of match the level of each of their opponents? What's your kind of take on that? Yeah, it does bother me. Um, when Minnesota's third leading scorer was one of 10 from three, I would say, man, we should win that game 100 times out of, t- out of, out of 100. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I feel like a lot of our guys kind of get in their heads, and um, I mean, tonight we came out we came out great, um, but then we got I feel like we got too cocky and we started to let up. We stopped doing simple things, um, simple reads on defense, simple plays on offense that we um, failed to execute, and I feel like that hurts us a lot down the stretch um, because really basketball is all about the little things, and it's about the little things that you keep doing throughout the game. Um, and you have to be consistent at those things. That's what makes certain players so great. That's what makes certain teams so great. And I feel like we really let up tonight, and that's why we lost. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, so looking back at this last week, were there any players on the Jazz that kind of like stood out to you, or you know maybe had some good plays that kind of caught your attention? Um, I know I was bagging on Mike Conley earlier, but he has been great the last couple of games. I think in his last five games excluding tonight he had over 50 assists yeah um and that's great um and tonight he had 26 points seven assists and nine rebounds on 10 of 19 shooting so over 50 percent so he's doing what we needed him to do um i do think mike has been one of our most consistent players this season um he's had a couple games that were rough but i feel like we were still able to win those games and i feel like he's really showed up these last couple of games um, so he really sticks out to me. I also really liked Ilyasova's contribution today. Yeah. Um, Ilyasova doesn't get a lot of minutes on the Jazz. Today we didn't go with the usual Oni minutes. We played Forrest for two minutes and Ilyasova for 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ilyasova went in and hit two threes, had eight points, um, which is great. And he was plus one in the game. Um, so I think that speaks a lot to how deep this team can be, actually. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I still feel like we're playing down to our competition. Yeah, 
And obviously we saw what Ilyasova can do against that for that first game in the Lakers. Obviously he's got some foul trouble. He loves to take those charges. It's not like <laughs> college basketball that we saw with the Utes where I feel like college basketball, they call like every charge. Oh yeah. But um, I, I think especially they put him in with Gobert and I thought those minutes were interesting kind of putting, you know, cause Ilyasova played the five when Gobert was out against the Lakers. Then they put him at the four with Gobert. And I thought that was an interesting way to space out the floor because he's a big guy. But like we said, he, he can hit long shots. And I think Quinn is slowly trying to incorporate him into the organization so that come playoff time, I think they can't be that deep bench team where now you have some really good players. We were talking about they're on the fringe of, you know, um, being eight guys deep, nine guys deep. And I think, you know, they, they can they can get there with Ilya Sova. Um, so... I don't know. Any final thoughts on the Jazz? What they need to do for these next few games? Because this, I, these next few games are going to be crucial. Especially yeah. now, I think they have a half game lead on the Suns. They play them on Friday. Uh, the Kings are coming up on Wednesday. So, what do the Jazz need to do with Donovan out, especially against these next two opponents? Um, honestly, that Suns game is going to be tough. Yeah, I don't think we win that game. I I agree with that. Um, <laughs> The Suns, luckily, they play the Clippers, um, I think, Wednesday, which is nice because one of those teams will fall down, um, which will give us some leeway on one of those teams, making it so we can finish first or second. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think, though, that, I don't know. I think we just got to win the easy games. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking at the rest of our schedule, we looked at this last time. Um, We had the Suns, the Nuggets, and the Trailblazers. And we were like, okay, those might be the three teams we might maybe lose to um honestly i take the trailblazers off there right now the suns and the nuggets i think maybe we lose to those teams but i honestly think we can still beat the nuggets if donovan's playing yeah um so really like we just got to win the easy games um we can't lose two in a row to minnesota who's second to last in the nba <laughs> man um, that's been rough <laughs> we can't lose to a lebronless lakers um and i mean we play some easy teams at the end of our schedule we have some easy matchups and this should give us some time to rest um ultimately the goal for the jazz isn't to finish number one it's to win a championship yeah um but i do think it is important where you are lined up in the playoffs exactly if you have the home court advantage and you play like the jazz have played at home all season and win pretty much every game at home you're gonna win the playoffs that's just how the math (laughs) works um so i just recommend that they stay in the one seed (laughs) yeah I absolutely agree. And I thought this past week, that's why the Timberwolves games also just sucked. It was because the Suns were on a road game in the East, and I felt like they were playing really good opponents. They played the Bucks, the Sixers, the Nets. Today they played the Knicks. And and they showed up for the most part. You know, they, they did their thing. And I thought, well, that's, that's nice because, you know, maybe they can drop a few in the Jazz. You know, we can beat the Timberwolves two games in a row. You know, we've got the Rockets, um, you know, the Kings. But now, especially those two games were a lot more crucial than I feel a lot of people are taking it out to be. And I know you don't give up on the Jazz right now. Like, that's just dumb. Like you've been saying, it's it's not about it's not all about seeding. It's all about the playoffs. But again, that seeding is very important. And I think, like you've been saying, the Jazz at home are a completely different team than on the road, I, I, I believe. And I think we've seen that. Um, and I think with an with a with fans there it can be a completely different atmosphere i'm not sure how they're gonna control that with obviously california can't have anyone right i guess they're starting to slowly get a few play a few fans back in um but i think that's a really big advantage come playoff time um let's switch it over i know this is like 
a long time away from college football season, but last from last podcast, we were able to go to the Utah Utes spring football game, which was nice. I liked it. It was like, it was great. We got to go back to Rice Eccles, um, and just, you know, be in that environment again. I thought it was awesome. And especially coming off of that season, um, during COVID, just a, a lot of ups and downs, but looking into this next season, I don't want to sound like a BYU fan, but I have a lot of high hopes for this team. <laughs> I know BYU expects, you know, to go to the playoff every year with their, you know, Heisman quarterback, but what, what, um, what did you get away from the spring game that we watched a few weeks ago? Um, my biggest take is we have a quarterback, Yeah, which is great because we weren't here for Tyler Huntley's best years. Um, so we didn't oh, really man. see a lot of great quarterback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charlie Brewer is legit. He did he have a single miss throw? Nope. Nope. That's right. He was perfect. <laughs> he played perfect. Um, and he made our receivers look better. And I think that is the true sign of a good quarterback. Um, you know, guys who were getting some reps last year, but um, what's his name? I'm trying to think of. Uh, I think it's Vele. Yeah, and, Devin Vele. Yeah, and he made. Devin Vele looked really good, and I think that shows that you have a good quarterback. Yeah. Um, to have a red redshirt freshman playing really good. Yeah, I um I thought the same thing because it was it was ironic. I went to the Utah Washington game right before I left on a mission, and we lost that I think twenty one to seven. And I was like, I'm so glad to leave this crappy offense behind me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't have to think about it. And then the, I think Utah went at like 9-0 after that. <laughs> and they were scoring like 40 points a game. Um, so, yeah, like you said, we didn't get to see the Tyler Huntley. Um, obviously, Utah is kind of like running back you. They have a lot of good running backs. Um, and I'll talk about that as well. But I absolutely agree. Charlie Brewer is something different. And I saw that when he um, said he was coming to Utah. I checked out his highlights. And a really big difference, especially from last year with Bentley, was the deep ball. Um, I I just saw a difference. I felt like last year when Bentley threw a deep ball, it was like a fly 500, you know, where he <laughs> set a point average and then threw it up to both the defense and the offense. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't. He'd throw the ball, and it went off my TV screen, and I couldn't see it for five <laughs> seconds. I was like, where's it going to land? Where's it going to land? <laughs> um, but Charlie Brewer has a very accurate deep throw, and I saw that in his highlights at Baylor. I think he they went to the Sugar Bowl the same year that Utah had their breakout season in 2019. I think you're right. Um, and he got injured, you know, right at the end. So it's questionable whether if he was in, they would have gone to the playoffs as well. But I absolutely agree with you. I think looking into the far future, and I don't want to look too far ahead, but I think Brewer's a really good starter for this year, especially coming in as a, a senior, you know, fifth-year senior. I think he's a fifth-year senior, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, you know, he plays here for one year and I think Cam Rising can be able to step it up. You know, he's got, you know, two years or so after that. And then we got a little bit of, um, Peter Costelli as well at the game. And even for a guy coming straight out of high school, I mean, he left high school like halfway through his senior year to come here. So he's a really young kid, but he also showed a lot of potential, you know, in his, in his throws in the spring game as well. Um, also in the offense, I thought the running back position was very interesting. Oh yeah. Because you look back at the last... I don't want to say maybe six or seven years and the running backs have all been the stars of the offense. You go back to like John White, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you got John White, Devonte Booker, you know, Zach Moss. Um, and obviously, uh, last year with, um, T- uh, Ty Jordan. 
so this year you've got three guys coming in together and I think they all add something special. I, I kind of saw a different running back play with each of them. Micah Bernard was obviously, I think he's getting a lot more physical than what we saw in a few reps last year. But the two new guys in TJ Pledger and Chris Curry, very different running backs. And I really like both of them. TJ Pledger um, reminds me a lot of John White. He's small, he's sneaky, and he shifts a lot. So I saw a lot of side running, um, uh, juke moves, stuff like that. Chris Curry's the guy like Zach Moss, where he puts the ball in his stomach and just plows through guys. Really good yards after contact. So in your eyes, what kind of running back do you like more? The more like Chris Curry type or the TJ Pleasure type? Um, I mean, it's situational, right? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Chris Curry is a great guy to have at the goal at the goal line. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Jaquindon Jackson is too. Uh, I thought I, I his, love how his much goal we, line play is good. <laughs> I, me and Rich are like the biggest fanboys for this guy. We hope he finds a role somewhere like, here. He he's not a good. He doesn't have a good arm. Yeah. He wasn't making great decisions. But when he's at the goal line and running, he's great. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with Chris Curry. Um, I think Chris Curry will be super effective at the goal line, and he'll give us options. Um, I think TJ Pledger is the type of guy that you have on second and 10 to go get you a first down. Yeah. Um, he's shifty, and if our O-line can make um, the right blocks, then he'll get you 10, 20 yards. And I think that's great. And I think Micah Bernard is also going to be fantastic for us. Um, it seems like he was playing with kind of a new energy, a new fire, which was good to see. Um, last year, his position wasn't solid. He knew that there were better running backs at the at the position. Um, but this year, he looks great, and he looks like he's ready to contribute. So, yeah. I mean, with all these guys, it's going to be situational for when we see them getting reps. Yeah, and I think the O-line position is 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 pretty well set for the most part. Obviously our tight end, our tight ends are awesome. Wide receiver is kind of the biggest question mark going into the spring game. We didn't get to see a lot of like the really good starters. I mean, Britton Covey, I think played for the first or second, first two quarters, um, as well as Solomon Enos. Um, we obviously also talked about Devin Vele. Um, and then you add Jalen Dixon. So I think even with a question mark, I think you've got four really solid wide receivers. It's really on those other two that are listed. Um, Money Parks and Kane Savage, dope names by the way. <laughs> I hope that I hope that reflects their game. Freaking tight. Um, but I really like the offense. And us growing up, we've known Utah as the defensive school, and I, I believe they still are. Like this defense yeah. is insane. We'll get into that. But I think Whittingham and the program has noticed, just like the NBA is changing, I, I think college football is changing into a more high-powered offense-centered type of. Um, uh, program. So going into the defense side, that was the big question going into the COVID season. Um, right. because it, obviously we lost what, like six or seven guys to the NFL. Yeah. And some of them were starting like Julian Blackman starting Jalen Johnson, Jalen Johnson starting it's, and, uh, uh, lucky Foto, I think he's getting reps for the Cardinals. Yeah. So you basically had like a, an NFL type defense in college and so you had to replace that and I thought for the freshmen that came in they stepped up and they they played their role and they got the experience that I think they needed for a season that I feel actually matters um so looking at the defense who stands out to you who do you like the most um Devin Lloyd is a freaking beast <laughs> I'm glad I'm so glad he stayed he's an NFL year. linebacker yeah he'll for sure be in the NFL NFL next year um but I'm really glad he stayed uh he helps us so much especially at that position. Um, 
like you said, we had so many questions about the defense last year. But going into this next season, I feel like a lot more of our questions are on the offense, which is yeah. a great thing. Um, it shows that our defense was able to come back and really get replenished. Um, around the board, you have you have solid guys. Um, one guy who I also thought was solid last year was Nephi Sewell. Um, yeah. I thought he played great. He had a lot of great plays, especially early in the season. Um, I'm thinking of that USC game, and I think he had – I think he had like two picks that game. Yeah, he had a fumble recovery, ran yeah. it back, and then he also had a pick. Yeah, that's right. And I think he's going to be great for us this year. Yeah. So those two guys really stick out to me. But honestly, around the board, you have a lot of guys. Yeah. Um. Uh. I the linebackers are stacked. Like that's a dope middle field. Um. I also really like the freshman um Clark Phillips the third because he was like an 18 year old kid, and I remember watching that USC game as well, and they were matching him up against the best wide receivers of USC. And obviously, we saw that they were playing a lot more zone, obviously, because, you know, an 18-year-old kid up against, like, a 23-year-old experienced college kid, like, one-on-one is just super tough. But even in the zone, I mean, he was getting, he was doing really good, and by season's end, he was playing really good defense. Um, And he was, I think, the highest-rated recruit that ever came to Utah. Um, So, I'm excited to see how he progresses, because I think, you know, he's going to be an NFL talent. It's just a matter of time. So, I I think the backfield is going to be really interesting to watch as well. Because I think up front, those are some big dudes. Like you said, Devin Lloyd, he he's outright stated. like He he had a really good shot at going to the NFL this year. He, I think he would have been like a second or third round pick, he said. But the main reason they've all come back is because they believe, they like thoroughly believe they can win a championship this year, like a Pac-12 championship. Um, and then, I mean, obviously going to special teams. Jaden Redding, I think, had a really good season as a kicker last year. Um, and we've got a new punter this year. I think he played the last like two games of last season. But... All around the board, I think this is a good team. Again, I don't want to sound over um, optimistic, but I think, you know, I think they can be really good uh, this upcoming season. Um, also, in Utes news, we've had an overload of Utah men's basketball these past this past month or so with the new staff coming in and new players, which is adding an energy to the program that I've actually liked. I think it's you know we've talked about that clean slate they wanted to create. And I think they've got that with this new coaching staff and with players coming in. So um, a lot of we've got some Utah State guys, um, a lot of Utah State coaches, as well as some players coming to the program, as well as some other junior college transfers. Um, who are the hires and the pickups that stand out to you from this men's basketball program? So I actually really like one of the hires today, Tim Morris. Yeah, um, I think he's from Cincinnati, right? Yeah, Cincinnati, where actually Gabe Madsen, one of our transfers, is from. Um, but Tim Morris has been described as a great player development guy and a great recruiter. That's what which, we need. That's what we need. <laughs> we need some of our guys to make a big leap between years one and two or two and three. Um, and I think he'll help a lot. But he he was proved he proved that he was very successful at Cincinnati. Um, I mean, as successful as you can be as an assistant coach. They were thirteen and five in conference last year. Um, and I honestly think he's going to help us a lot. Um, when you have a good head coach surrounded with good assistant coaches from different backgrounds, you and they're able to find chemistry, you're really able to create a good culture in co- in your college basketball program. So I'm really excited about Tim Morris, but all around the board, we've added a lot of a lot of guys that are really going to help us, um, especially in our coaching staff. Yeah, um, I, I absolutely agree. I think it's been I, I was expecting a lot of Utah State transfers, basically. 
um, from the coaching staff, but obviously his staff that he's, he's created has obviously made a change in all the programs that they've gone to. Um, but I do like the outside hires that he's made. And I think what's also interesting about Morris is that he also has a connection to the East coast, which I think is different, especially coming to a West coast school. So you can get guys from uh, the Southeast. Um, but I think he also has a connection to Wasatch Academy and stuff, which are players that we have lost to, you know, other in-state schools. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to name names. Um, what to me though, I think the players, like we already talked about Gabe Matson, but one kind of stands out to me, and that was David Jenkins Jr. from UNLV. Yeah, I think he's a senior or junior. Yeah, he's a senior. He's a senior. Super athletic guy. We've been talking about that, you know, at the end of the basketball season. That's what the Utes needed was athleticism because as good as talent is, they, it was a blatant difference compared to other conference teams, especially teams like USC, Oregon, where their guys are – I even though they're not like – as highly touted that you can just see the athleticism makes a complete difference on the floor. And David Jenkins Jr. adds that. Plus his shooting was actually pretty, if not really good last season. Yeah. High 40 percentage from three point land. I think he was averaging like 18 or 19 points a game, solid stats. Um, I think he's a solid addition. And like we were talking about the junior college transfers are needed, especially for a new slate because you need that experience. Um, like you've been saying that I feel like, time and time again the men's basketball program is we have new guys that have a lot of good talent and you know a lot of a long ways to go and I feel like every season's like oh the Utes are the young team the Utes are the young team and I feel like finally when you get these junior college transfers it's a different story where yeah you still have those young guys but now you can add um, these older guys who have a lot more experience that can add that to this new program I think of um, I think our in like the 2017-18 season you had like Justin Bibbins who was a junior college transfer David Collette, junior college transfer. Tyler Rawson, junior college transfer. Yeah. And they were our top players, and they yeah. all came from junior colleges. And so I, I think in order for this Utah program to get up and running, that's what's needed. So like we said before, there's also Utah State guys coming over. So what players that uh, Coach Smith has picked up, which one stands out to you from the player side? Um, so you have Rolly Wor- Worcester. What a I name. <laughs> pronouncing that right. Yeah. <laughs> and Marco Anthony. Yeah. And out of the two, Marco Anthony st- stands out a little bit more to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Marco Anthony, he's a great size, 6'5", 220 pounds. Um, so that kind of, I don't know, that helps with our athleticism a bit. Yeah. Um, his stats won't really jump out to you from the last season. Um, but one thing I do like that he adds is continuity um, to Craig Smith's program. He'll be able to come in. He'll know um, the system. He'll know what Craig Smith wants to do. And that will help other guys know what Craig Smith wants to do too. Yeah. Um, so I think that helps a lot. Um, but honestly, looking, I mean, looking at those two guys, neither of them are like standout transfers. Neither of them are 20 points per game guys. Yeah. Um, but they're both guys that are going to help you. Um, I don't know if Worcester will be a rotation guy. I'm assuming Marco Anthony will be. He's a senior. Um, and he was a big rotation guy last year for Utah State. Um, so I'm, I imagine he inserts himself in there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, sorry, we had to start off on such a depressing note with the jazz in today's episode, but I think especially in the youths category, there's a lot to look forward to in these next few seasons. So I don't know. I'm kind of excited. And with the jazz, you know, playing some really crucial games, I think next week's episode is going to be even more exciting. So make sure to tune in on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on Instagram 
at Thatcher Effect Podcast. It's been so nice to have you guys here with us. We'll catch you next week on the Thatcher Effect.